if you're uh, comfortably able, let's remain standing, go honor God's word. Uh, this Sunday, uh, today, this morning, and next week, uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15. Three parables are found there. I'm going to read the first two, but mostly refer to the parable of the prodigal son this week and next week. Uh, but it's all found in this one chapter. So let's uh, hear and listen to God's word. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my, sh- my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We do welcome uh, those who are worshiping online this morning. Uh, grateful that you are with us. Uh, just returned, a group of us just returned from the, the Holy Land, and uh, thank you for your prayers. What an awful, awful situation. Um, you might hear a little bit of that trip, which was amazing, but also as we return, heartbreaking to think about what's going on over there. But you might hear a little bit of that trip in my sermon this morning. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, these uh, stories, these parables are, are yours, and, and um, so we, we ask now that you would be our teacher, that you'd teach them to us, that our minds, hearts, and ears might be open to the word that you'd have us hear. Amen. Luke says, by this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus. He was hanging out with the wrong crowd. They were listening to his every word. And the religious serious people, the Pharisees, were were not pleased at all. They were looking at this going, what is he doing? These are the people he's going to hang around with? I mean, we know their reputation. We know what they do during the week. We, We know what they've done. These people are allowed to be near him? He eats with them? He invites them into his home to have dinner? What is going on here? He's treating them like old friends. Now, no doubt this was very, very confusing for the religious people of the day. Um, Jesus taught with one who had authority when they heard him speak. Um, He knew and interpreted the scriptures like no one they had ever heard before. They had seen or heard reports of him doing miraculous activity. They were very, very intrigued by this one. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's been sent by God. And they want to learn and they want to see for themselves. But now they discover he's with those people? What's going on here? Very confusing. Their thought process was God is holy. God's things are holy. God's word is holy. Everything about God is holy. And so in order to be in God's presence, you have to be cleaned, cleansed. You can't be of reputable reputation. Like these people. You can't be a tax collector. Now, this 
thinking is alive and well in the world that we live in today. Um, in fact, it's all over the world. It's in every world religion. Um, we saw many evidences of this on our trip. It was all around us. It's like you're swimming in this. This idea that a holy God or a holy space is only for those who are ready and prepared or cleansed to be a part of it. We, we looked and saw evidence of uh, excavations where there were ceremonial ritual baths. In order to visit the temple, you had to be cleansed. If you're going to enter into a place where the holy God is, you have to be cleansed head and toe. And you have to go through this whole process over and over and over again. We went to, our group went on to the top of the Temple Mount where you see the gold dome that is, there's a Muslim mosque up there. And it's very sacred, holy ground for the Muslim faith. It's very sacred, holy ground for the Jewish religion. That's where the temple was. And so, so much concern is given to who's allowed to be near holy ground. You know, in the fighting that's happening right now, one of the words that's coming out is that the Hamas fighters are angry about a number of things. One of the things they're really angry about is that increasingly, a little bit by little bit, Jewish people are being allowed to walk on the Temple Mount in that space. Not go into the buildings, but they're allowed up there, and this is infuriating them. When we were there, actually, we were uh, looking at this gold dome, we were looking at the mosque, and, and a group of younger uh, Israeli citizens were escorted onto the mount. This is infuriating to them. They're not allowed. They're not worthy. What are they doing there? And you're in this and you're immersed in it everywhere you go. Who is able to enter in? Who's acceptable? Who's worthy? And then you have to also at the same time say who's not. Who's not allowed? Jesus tells the story and is with people who were considered not worthy. How can he be hanging around with them? They should be shunned. They should be out. They're not allowed. And he tells three parables. And they're surprising in, in every way because they're, he's talking about God's character. He's teaching about who God is. The first parable, he says, is that God is uh, like a shepherd who loses one sheep. He, he has 100. He leaves the 99. He goes looking for the one. Searches. And when he finds it, throws it over his shoulders, and he has so much joy. He's just full of joy. He can't believe they found that sheep. He said it's, it's like a, a woman who lost one coin. She had ten, and she searches and searches and searches for it in her home. And when she finds it, she's just, she calls the neighbor. She's overjoyed. Can you believe I found my coin? How wonderful this is. It's a wonderful thing to find something precious that you thought had been lost, right? On our trip, there were three occasions where something uh, was lost by one of our participants. We were walking one day in and around Jerusalem, and someone lost a hearing aid. Well, that's a big deal, right? If you can't hear the rest of the trip, that's a big deal. So he was very, very frantic about this, and he retraced his steps, and miraculously, he found it on the ground far away from where we were. And when he came back, such joy. Oh, such joy. And then there was a, a notebook. Someone was taking detailed notes of our trip, chronicling everything. And it was left at a checkpoint, seemingly lost. And there was this frantic search. But by, boy, when it was found, <laughs> absolute joy. And then 
someone on our trip actually lost what might be the most precious thing of all. Cell phone. Right? Sorry, but in our culture, that's pretty precious. Cell phones missing. But, and then that frantic search, but when it was found, oh, such joy. Jesus is telling us and teaching us, do you, do you understand that if we are separate, if we're lost, he's going to start searching for us frantically. This is hard. You see, in so much of the world's religions, it presents a God who is sitting there, he's holy, and he's saying, now let me decide who is worthy to come near me. This group is not. This group is not. They're not worthy for whatever reason. They can't come near. They can't come near to be near me. And then when Jesus teaches, he says, let me tell you what God is like. It's not like that. He goes out and looks and looks and looks. And, and when we return to him, he welcomes. He says, yes, yes, come. And then there's such joy. There's such overwhelming, joyous laughter in heaven when that happens. In the most probably well-known parable that Jesus told, the parable of the prodigal son, many have pointed out that perhaps we're given the wrong title to this story. It, it probably should be titled the, the story of the loving father. Because that's really what it's about. Jesus is teaching us about what God is like. He's like this father. Andy Stanley says that we should title this story the story of the party that nobody wanted to go to. And we'll see a little bit more of that next week. Jesus says, let me tell you a story about two brothers. And they both refused to go to a party for different reasons. And again, this morning I want to focus on this younger son. He said, there once was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. I want my inheritance right now. Now, in Jesus' day, inheritance worked very differently than what we know about inheritance and the way it works in our society. The older son was given two-thirds of an estate, and the younger sons divided the remaining one-third of the estate when the father died. Um, daughters weren't given anything in that society. Now, as an older son who has two younger uh, sisters, I think this is a pretty good system. Can I get an Amen. I mean, it sounds fine to me, but it was a very, very different society, and it, it was a very different economy. The way the economy worked, very different. It's hard for us to relate to this, and security functioned vastly different than what we understand it to be. Land was everything. Land was everything. It was handed down from generation to generation to generation. This is our identity. This is where we've always lived. This is who we are. We know this land. We're attached to this land. Keeping land and your land was the highest priority. The clan and the family needed this system to survive. So when the younger son came to the father and said, I, I want what's coming to me now, this was the highest form of insult. What he said in effect to his father was, I wish you were dead. I can't wait. I wish you were dead. You're good to me dead because I would get what's coming to me. Now, the hearers of this parable would have been shocked at this point. There would have been audible gasps. They would have been shaking their head. They would have never heard anything like this. They would have expected to Jesus to say at this point, and so the father drove the son out with violent, verbal, and maybe even physical blows. That's what is expected. What the son is saying is, I want the father's things, but I don't want the father. It's a slap in the face. It's a high insult. 
then Jesus tells us this shocking thing. The father went ahead and did it. He divided the property between them. And it wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and he left for a distant country. And so you see what's happening here. The father had to sell off a third of their estate to give the money to the son. This was to tear his life apart, to tear apart his standing in the community, this father. It's, again, hard for us to quite grasp this. We, we have a different relationship to the land here. We move. We buy this property. We don't really get attached to the property. We get attached to the income that comes off of it. So if it's a better deal, we'll move. And we move. We relocate. It's hard for us to, to understand what's going on here. Um, maybe some of you grew up on the, the family farm. You might have a little bit of understanding. This is my parents' farm, my grandparents'. Um, one of the places we visited when, on our Holy Land trip was a place that um, – it's a family farm of olive trees, and they have been on that farm for hundreds and hundreds of years. They have documents and papers and grand grandparents and great-grandparents, and they take such great pride in their land, in their farm. It's everything to them. And this younger son has come and has ripped the farm in half, ripped it in thirds. It's hard to fathom. He takes off. He rejects the father. He rejects his brother. He rejects his family goes and he lives his own life, whatever he wants. And this father is left at home feeling the pain, the sting, the hurt of this son saying, I don't want to be near you. Give me what's mine. Wish you were dead. And Jesus said there in that foreign country, undisciplined, dissipated, he wasted everything he had, insult upon insult. After he'd gone through all his money, there was a bad famine through the country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. This is a Jewish boy. You understand what's happening here with the pigs. This is low. This is the bottom. He was so hungry that he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but nobody would give him any. This younger son chose a path of self discovery. I'm going to live the way I want. I'm going to do the things that I want to do. I'm going to make a name for myself. I don't need the father's name anymore. I'm my own boss. It's what I want. It made him miserable. We know a little bit about this. I think deep in our hearts, we know a little bit about this road of self-discovery. To be separated from the Father is to lose out on joy. It's to live a life of a lot of fear, worried about what you're going to lose. It sounds wonderful to be your own boss and to make my own decisions and chart my own course, but it's not the way we're designed to live. We were designed to live in the Father's house, sharing in His joy. Self-discovery. Jesus says when we do this, every step of that self-discovery is a step away of the Father, and we become more and more lost and cut off. Well, in our text, it said at the bottom, it brought him to his senses, this prodigal boy. And he said to himself, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going to go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. 
And he got up and he started walking home. Now, everyone thinks that this is a turning point for the prodigal. And it takes that the turning point takes place in the far country when the text says he came to his senses, like he realized what he had done and that this is a repentant moment. Um, however, English versions of the Bible don't really quite capture this right, this meaning. Ken Bailey, a scholar, says that for the first thousand years, the universal Arabic translation was not he had come to his senses, but rather that he had returned to himself. Returned to himself. Or more specifically, he would now depend on himself. Had the prodigal repented or felt sorry for what he had done, he would have used the Hebrew word shub, meaning return to God. He's not hoping to reconcile with the Father. He's not feeling remorse. He's not sad about what he's done. He's just hungry. He's trying to, once again, figure out a way to make his life work on his own terms. And so he thinks, I'll go back. And I'll say to my father, hire me on as one of your workers, and I'll pay you back. That way I can get meals, and that way it'll be, we'll have this transactional relationship. I'll be a skilled workman. You see what's happening here? Is God going to welcome him back? Is the father going to embrace him? Or is the father going to say, hey, all right, here's the terms. If you want to come back, you better clean up. You got a lot of work to do. If you want to be in my presence, if you want to come into my temple, if you want to be in my clan, you have a lot to do, pal. That's what we would expect. That's what he was thinking. It makes sense, right? It makes a lot of sense. You know, sometimes when you ask someone, um, are you a Christian? They will say, um, I'm trying. You know, that's missing the boat. Uh, what we're really saying is, I'm really trying to be moral and clean myself up and get myself ready so that God will. I'm trying. I'm working on it. It's not what we're seeing here in this parable. Jesus is revealing the shocking, scandalous, reckless love of God that looks and searches for us. And before we can give a speech, before we can clean everything up, welcomes us home. When he was still a long way off, the father saw him. You can imagine every day this father standing at the edge of the family farm on the road. And he looks down the road every day wondering, is this the day my son will come home? I mean, longingly yearning, looking, going, oh, I wish he would come home. Is this the day? Maybe today. And then one day in the distance, he sees his son coming toward him. His heart started pounding. He ran out. He embraced him. He hugged him. He kissed him. And then the son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father didn't listen to the speech. He was too busy calling the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes. Dress him. Bring a robe. Put it around him. The family ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet. Then I want you to go and get a grain-fed heifer and Let's roast it. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a wonderful party celebration. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. When the Pharisees and the religious leaders looked at Jesus, they said, how dare you be around these kind of people? And Jesus says, God loves to be around these kind of people. 
Not only that, but he welcomes them. Throws his arms around them. Did you notice in, in this story that you, you might expect he's been living in the pig spot. He smells bad. He's dirty. And the father doesn't say, come to the house, take a bath, we'll clean you up, then I'm going to put my nice robe around you. As you are, come. I'm so glad you're back. I've been looking every day, yearning that you come back. He says, this is what God's like. When I was 16 years old, I, I worked at a golf course. It was a fabulous job. And one of my duties was that at the end of the night, it was getting dark, I got to get the fastest golf cart we had, and we made a couple modifications to make it a little bit faster. <laughs> and I had to drive every hole of the course in the dark and pick up the pins and bring them back in so they weren't stolen at night. Well, what a fun thing for a 16-year-old. I mean, just cruising up and down these hills, going as fast as I can. I knew the course so well that even in the dark, I knew when the turn was coming. And, and it was just kind of this speed racer road thing I did every night. And what a fun job. I was getting paid for this. One night, I'm coming down a hill, and I'm going really fast. And suddenly, there was this awful, very distinct smell of a skunk. You know the smell. We've smelled this before. But this is pretty powerful. And I thought, ooh, wow. You know, and I went and thought, wow, that is, that's really something. And, and uh, I must have driven through it. I thought, well, okay. So I got the pins, and I got them all, and I went into the car barn, and I put them away, and I locked everything up. And I got in my car, and I was driving home. I thought, well, that still kind of smells a little bit. That's, that's really bad. Wow, that was a pretty powerful skunk. And so I get home, and I'm, I, I, I walk through the door, and I say, hi, I'm back. And my dad approaches me, and he starts screaming, get out of this house. You are not allowed in this house. Get out of here. I mean, he drove me out of the house. You, don't come back. I remember those words, do not come back. I had taken a direct hit. I didn't know this, but I had been completely hit by this skunk. And my dad is like, you're going to ruin this house. Get out. Come back someday when you're clean. Makes sense, right? Can you blame him? I don't know about you, but I often think this is the way God works. Makes sense. You got to get clean. You got to get fixed. You got to get right. If you're going to stand and be with the Holy God, you see what, what's happening here? See, all that cleansing, all that I got to get right, all that I got to fix myself, that's religion. What Jesus is bringing us is the end of religion. It's, it's over. This isn't you got to get yourself right and fix yourself and save yourself. It's you have a God and we have a God who loves us in this radical fashion. And wants us to be home with him. All of us deserve to be driven out. We've all at some point chosen the path of self-discovery. And we probably expect to be driven out or not welcome. It makes sense. But this story isn't about making sense. It's about learning the heart of God. It's about learning his character. It's about discovering that we have a father who runs out to meet us in all of our bad smell, in all of our wrong words and rejection, 
And before we can make a speech, he embraces us, he kisses us. And, he, and when he finds us, when we return home, we say, Father, I'm sorry, I'm, I want to be with you. Jesus says they throw a party in heaven, joyous laughter. Everyone starts hooping it up. Ah, oh, we found her. She's back. Wonderful. This party is going on right now, and you and I are given invitation. We're invited to live in the Father's house, to live under his care and protection. And by the way, to live under his rules. And living under that house, he's teaching us how to live and how he wants us to live. And part of the way he wants us to live is to go out and help bring others in, no matter what they've done, to be continually reminding people that they're invited to the party, not spending our days saying, you're not welcome, you can't come because of what you've done. There's a story told about Lewis. He was attending a conference on comparative religions. And the people there were debating what was unique about Christianity. And after numerous suggestions were rejected, Lewis inter interjected and said, what's unique about Christianity? Oh, that's so easy. It's grace. It's grace. That's what it is. So, friends, this morning I ask you, has your heart been touched by the Father's grace? Can you imagine him putting his robe on you and a ring on your finger, kissing you and saying, I'm so glad you're home. I want to be with you. Has your heart been so filled with his sacred love? And if you're away from the Father's house this morning, it's time to come home. A joy-filled reception awaits. It's time to turn away from self-discovery, self-rule, self-control. And it's time to live with the Father. Let us pray. Such joy is found in these words, O oh God, that you love us as we are and you call us into a new way of life, one where we're continually loved, where we are immersed in your grace and your mercy. It's such a blessing to learn that your heart is full of joy, welcoming, inviting, searching for each and every one of us. So we give you thanks this day. In Jesus' name, amen.